The Temple Tax After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offence, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Anthony. Not short to do with these. <laughs> Morning, everybody. Um, so, today we are looking at Clicker. Looking at a passage um, that tells us about living as members of God's family. Uh, and we've got three headings, which are up there family, fence, and fish, uh, and you'll see those headings are back on the yellow sheet as well, uh, if you want to jot anything down, uh, and if you'd like to keep following it, I haven't got my glasses on so I can't see the page number, but it is still on page 985 with the Bibles if you want to keep those open as we, uh, as we head along, and uh, let me just pray uh, before we start, let's pray. Father God, just pray that my words and our thoughts would all be acceptable to you this morning as we study this passage and as we learn more about your will for our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I always find it quite helpful to look at the the context first for some of these passages, especially slightly obscure ones uh, like this. So just a couple of things to, uh, to get our bearings, really, on, on this passage. First thing to say about this one is that this tiny little story acts as a sort of bridge between two big blocks of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is very, uh, very carefully constructed. Uh, it's probably the most carefully constructed of any of the Gospels. Uh, and this little story sits between uh, a time when Matthew has been telling us about the glory of Jesus and faith in Jesus. So we've just had the transfiguration, and we've had that story that Phil was preaching on last week about faith in Jesus in what, in, and what that means. And then the other side of this little bridge, we go into what it's like to live as a Christian. So if you get bored during the sermon and you flick ahead, uh, you'll see that the teaching moves on to things like um, uh, how to deal with disputes, uh, amongst Christians, uh, what should be done about marriage and divorce and things like that. So this passage is a little bridge between this is who Jesus is, this is what we need to do, this is our right reaction to Jesus, and then looking ahead to how we live as Christians. 
So that puts the, the passage into that sort of context in the gospel. The other thing I always find helpful is to remind myself that what we're reading here is real history. Especially with this story, which looks a little bit weird, it's perhaps helpful to remember that this happened in a real place at a real time. So uh, that is Capernaum. Just out of interest, has anybody been there? Ah, so Matt can prove that it is that. That is it, is it? I got the right picture off the internet, that's right. Uh, so uh, I've been to Galilee, I haven't been to Capernaum. So Capernaum sits on the north shore uh, of, of Galilee. Uh, it was a busy little town in its day. Uh, that's a prettier picture of it, isn't it? Uh, tiny little, well, not tiny, reasonable size, little town, uh, just sitting on the coast. And uh, Peter lived there. Peter lived there with his, uh, you know, with his mother and his family. He had his fishing business there. Uh, it's where Jesus based his ministry, uh, his preaching ministry, when he was in the area. Um, and it's where Matthew was a tax collector. And that's perhaps why he writes this story. So it's pretty central to what's going on uh, in Matthew's gospel. Uh, and it's not there anymore. It was, uh, it was deserted as the Crusaders arrived in around about 1100. And because it was a business hub, it's probably why this particular story is set, is set uh, here in Capernaum, because it's the place where we see they're collecting the temple tax. Uh, and the temple tax was something that's first introduced in Exodus, and then it pops up through the Old Testament every now and again, and it was a, an annual tax that everybody had to pay for the upkeep of the temple. Uh, two drachma each. Um, I looked up one commentary and said that was the equivalent to 8p, so that was a very old commentary. Uh, they say it's about two days' pay. So take living wage type things, I don't know, 250 pounds, something like that, now you know, in current money. So it's like each of us being asked to pay 250 quid for the upkeep of this church every year. And that was, that was what the temple tanks um, was all about. So as we start to look at the passage, you'll see verse 24 is where the, the, the issue really kicks off. When Peter gets asked, does Jesus, does the master pay the temple tax? Now that's an odd question in a way, because why wouldn't he? Everybody paid tax. It's a bit like asking anybody in this room, do you pay tax or do you pay VAT? Uh, You may not like it, but yeah, we pay tax. So why would Jesus not pay the temple tax? And actually, we don't know. And actually, it doesn't really matter uh, because the story moves on. But perhaps, and perhaps the most obvious reason, is we know that Jesus had been uh, taking on the religious authorities, hadn't he? He'd been to the temple, he'd been, to the, uh, he'd been arguing with the Pharisees. So perhaps people thought, on principle, he wouldn't pay the temple tax. We don't really know, but there we are. We get the question, gets asked. The point is, what happens next? And if you want to know what happens next, you look at verses 25 and 26, which is when Peter comes into the house, having had this conversation, and it's quite telling, isn't it, that Jesus speaks to Peter first, before Peter has even said he's had this conversation. It's just an interesting little emphasis that Matthew slips in, that uh, Peter, that Jesus speaks first. And this is what he says, look at verse 25, Jesus says, From whom do the kings of the earth collect taxes? From their own children or from others? 
And Peter answered, um, sorry, from others, Peter's answered, then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. So Jesus is basically saying to Peter at that point, look, kings don't tax their own children, so you don't need to pay this tax. Now that might seem, oh, I didn't know it moved. That's good. Cool. How did I do that? <laughs> I'll just watch that. <laughs> um, the, uh, that's quite put me off. <laughs> the trouble is when we think tax, I guess we think HMRC, payroll, VAT, whatever it is. Um, tax back then was much more like this. This is really off-putting. That, uh, you know, but it's the King John of, oh, don't turn it off. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it going. It's not going to be that long. Um, kings tax their people, not for the good of the people, but to look after themselves. So we collect the tax uh, to pay for ourselves, to pay for our uh, upkeep, to keep us in power, uh, and to pay uh, for the family. And obviously, if you're going to behave like that, you are going to tax other people, and you don't tax the family. And that's what really takes us on, sadly, to leave Disney, to just start thinking about family. Because if you think about what Jesus has just said, it's huge. What he said is, Peter, you are free of any religious obligations. You don't have to pay this tax because you are a son of the king. Which is really saying, you are a child of God. You are a daughter. You are a son of God. And you think, and you look at Peter, and he's running his fishing business in Capernaum, and you think, Peter's not a prince. He's not a son of a king. He's a bloke with a fishing boat, fishing in Capernaum. So what has happened to Peter that has changed him from being a fisherman to being a son of the king? And the answer sits back in chapter 16. We don't need to look it up. Chapter 16, verse 16. So just a couple of passages before this. When Peter turns to Jesus and he says, You, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that is the moment when Peter becomes God's family. And Jesus is saying, Peter, because of that... Because you recognize me for who I am, then you are a son of the king. Now that's pretty astonishing, pretty amazing statement. What is even more amazing is to say that that is still true. It is still true that anybody who really says what Peter says, who acknowledges who Jesus is, is a son of the king. John 1.12 says, everyone who believes in Jesus becomes children of God. Or if you want another verse, Romans 8.14 says that all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. At that point, we need Stephen Demetrio back to go, whoa! Because if we were a Pentecostal church, there'd be lots of amens and hallelujahs at that point. Just think about that for a moment. All you need to be to be a son of God is to trust in the Lord Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? Because we're hove, we're all going jolly good under our breath. But uh, there we are. It's, it, it's great news. It was true in Capernaum, 
and it's still true now. That means you have a personal relationship with God, with the King. King, The God who created everything, who brought everything into existence. Now if you go to Buckingham Palace, if you get the ticket in the summer uh, and you pop in, you'll be able to have a little look round, won't you? You'll be able to go into perhaps a couple of galleries. Uh, you might be able to um, see where the Queen once sat or something like that. But you certainly won't be able to do this. You certainly won't be able to run in and sit on the Queen's lap or start rifling through her handbag or whatever else is going on in this picture. I have no idea who these people are, but I think they're the grandchildren and someone can tell me later uh, who they all are, I expect. But the point is, that is us as sons and daughters of the King. We have that access, we have that relationship with our Creator, God. And Jesus is saying that to Peter. He's saying, Peter, that is you because of what you said. You're a child of the king and your family. But of course, being a member of the royal family does come with responsibilities, doesn't it? And sadly, sometimes people behave in such a way that they bring the king or the queen into disrepute. And of course, that's what Harry did by his behavior, and it happens every now and again, doesn't it, with another scandal in the royal family. Being a child of the king does lead to behaving in a certain way. And that takes us on to the second point of offense, trying to slightly force the Fs, but never mind. You see, Jesus just told Peter that he is free of any rules, and he doesn't need to pay this tax. So Peter's thinking, great, tax-free living. Wouldn't we all like that? But then Jesus ruins it all, doesn't he? He says, yes, you don't have to pay the tax, but actually you're going to anyway. And you think, why? If I don't have to do this, why am I going to have to pay this tax? And of course the answer is in verse 27, so that we may not cause offence. You see, Jesus didn't want anybody speaking badly of his name, or anything that was done not to reflect well on the honor of God. We're not to do anything that damages God's reputation. Whether it suits us or not, personally, we are not to give offense and dishonor God. Now, I want to take a small diversion at that point, because the fact is that if you live as a Christian in this country right now, you are going to give offence. The um, offence is a huge word at the moment in the country, isn't it? And, and in the West, generally, uh, this generation, especially the millennial generation, uh, are known as the snowflake generation. Snowflakes because every one of us thinks we are rather special and we're very, very unique and we think we damage easily and we take offence easily. So when you hear the snowflake generation, it's not telling you how pretty you are. It's not, a, it's not a desperately a polite comment about us. But that is the generation that we live in. And as a result of that, we, those who are Christians in this room, we will give offense to other people because the message of the Bible is offensive. And I wanted to take this small diversion because it might be quite easy to read that passage we've just looked at and say, lest we give offense... I'm going to keep my head down and keep quiet. And that is absolutely not what this passage 
is saying. I was uh, discussing Christian things with a group of people the other day, uh, and it was rather a grueling discussion. And at the end of it, I went down and jotted down the things that had caused people's hackles to rise in that meeting. Uh, The point at which I knew I was getting hot and bothered and embarrassed because of the reactions. Uh, And these these are the sorts of things that folk just don't like to hear. That mankind is sinful by nature. That God sent his son to die in our place. That we cannot earn merit with God by our own efforts. That we're all going to face judgment one day. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that good people are no better than bad people in God's eyes. All that counts is accepting the free gift of life from God. Now those are all great truths. They are fundamental to the Christian message. But they cause offence. And this passage is not an excuse for saying, well, I don't need to mention some of these things. We, sadly, need to risk being offensive. Uh, Some of us find it easier than others, uh, but we need to be out there uh, being prepared to say these things. But the point of this passage is, therefore, that we are not to cause offence unnecessarily. We're not to behave in such a way that we point people away from God. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, for Peter, it was pretty obvious, wasn't it? He had to go and find 250 quid or maybe 500 pounds to pay the tax. Uh, And for him, that would have meant a big deal. It would have been subsistence living, wouldn't it? That would have been a week without food, uh, a week without supporting the family, uh, a week of his money going where he didn't really want it to go. And actually for us now, perhaps even bigger challenge than that seems. Because by the time Matthew wrote this, the temple had been destroyed. So by the time Matthew wrote this and people were reading it for the first time, the money for the temple tax was actually being diverted to support uh, the Roman temples, the pagan temples in Rome. And yet Matthew seems to have included this story saying, you pay what is due, you behave as you should do within the government, uh, and never mind your principles, uh, because what you need to do is point people to God in the way that you behave. There's all sorts of ways this plays out in our life, isn't it, in a day-to-day basis. This is one that struck me. The trouble I've discovered with doing sermons is you have to apply it to yourself, uh, which can be a bit painful. Uh, And I was sitting thinking, well, what does this mean for me And I suddenly remembered that we were at Spring Harvest a couple of weeks ago, big Christian conference at Butlins, and a lady had lent us 50p for one of our grandchildren's socks for soft play. Uh, And I said, oh, I'll pay it back. And I suddenly thought, I haven't. And it's only 50p, doesn't really matter. But it really weighed on me. I thought, there we are, Christian conference, she'll have known I was a Christian, and I didn't give that 50p back. Anyway, it's now gone in the post. Whether it ever gets there, uh, I don't know. But I thought, it's things like that, isn't it? In our daily lives, it might be paying tax, but I hope you all pay tax anyway. But it's those daily moments when people say, hmm, call themselves a Christian. And we need to challenge ourselves, don't we? We need to say, what are the things that we look out for in our lives that don't point people towards God, but instead point people away from them. And I found it quite helpful just thinking about this, 
thinking, what are the little trigger points in my brain? What's going on in my brain at times like that? And I think it's phrases like, why should I? Or, it's against my principles. Or, actually, can't be bothered. You will have your own little phrases that play in your brain. I think we just need to look out for those, don't we? And say, hang on a minute. Is that actually a point where I need to put God first? I need to point people to Jesus. Because when I say I can't be bothered, I'm really talking about what I want rather than what someone else's want. Because it's difficult, isn't it? These little things that come along, get in our way and divert us. They can be quite challenging. And we need help. And the great news is that we've got help because we've got the fish. Think of Peter. He must have been thinking, well, thanks very much, Lord. It's all very well you saying I don't have to pay this tax. Now saying I've got to find 500 quid. Where is that going to come from? And, of course, the thing is, it was sitting in the fish. While Jesus was talking to Peter, this apparently is a tilapia, for those who are pescatorially interested. Um, Apparently that was big perch cruising around in Galilee. Um, So some little perch, big perch, was grubbing around in the lake off that little harbour we saw, hoovers up a four drachma piece, it's a bit bigger than a pound coin, uh, and is sitting there uh, waiting uh, for Peter to come and catch him. Jesus is providing something to help Peter Uh, even as he speaks. You see, Jesus knows Peter's need and he meets it. Alex, I'm sorry to say this is not a story about finding money. Where's Alex gone? Has he left? Oh, he's there. This is not a story about finding money. This is a story about how Jesus helps us live for him. And the great news is that Jesus still does that. Jesus still helps us live Uh, as we should do. And the way he does that, and scripture's very clear, is that Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. And each one of us who believes in Jesus here has God's Holy Spirit within us to help us. Here's a couple of verses about that. John 14, 26. Jesus tells us that his spirit reminds us of his teaching. So if this teaching is any good, the Spirit will remind you of it. When you read the Bible, the Spirit reminds us of what the Bible says. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says his Spirit gives us power. That's great, isn't it? So two things are happening. We're being reminded of the teaching, and then the Spirit gives us power to put it into practice. And that, of course, is the rub, isn't it? Because we do have to put it into practice. It's all very well the Spirit reminding us of it, and it's all very well the Spirit giving us the power to do something, but we have actually got to do something. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't just do a sort of Paul Daniels trick and and magic this coin uh, out of the air, which presumably he could have done. He actually makes Peter do something. Peter has to go down to the lake uh, and do a little bit of line fishing uh, and and catch this fish. Now Peter was a fisherman so actually what Jesus was asking Peter to do wasn't a huge thing, was it? I just wonder whether it ties into what Phil was talking about last week about the tiny mustard seed of faith. That's all Peter needed. Wasn't it? Do something he did every day actually. Go down to the beach Stick a worm on a hook or whatever you do. uh, Chuck it out there and bring in a fish. 
It's just a little thing to do. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit is there to help us. And that is why the Spirit came after Jesus returned to heaven. And it means that whatever our issues are that we have to deal with, uh, whenever we hit our snowflake principles, whenever we hit a red line in our own brains, whenever we hit those why should I moments, we know we've got the Spirit there. We call on him to help us. And this passage tells us that that is exactly what Jesus does. He provides that help. That is the good news of the fish. Not that your money problems are solved, but that God will help us in our daily walk and gives us the power to live for him and to point others to Jesus. I had to get another F in. So, fun as they say in French, for finish, for the end. Not fin, but it was a fishy illusion. Let's just uh, recap very simply on what I think I've been trying to say. Family tells us that when we accept Jesus for who he is, we become a child of God. That's the great news. Two things flow from that. The offense is that we go to any length to point people to Jesus and to show God's love to others. And the fish is there to remind us that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit for every Christian to live as he would like us to. It's all good news, isn't it, really? Let me pray as we finish. Let me pray. Father, thank you that we have an eternal future if we trust in you and because of what Jesus did for us. And as we sang earlier, help us to live in such a way that the world will see that you live in us. And we thank you for family and we thank you for the fish. Amen.